Hello there. Uh, Cinderboy to Cinnamon here. Hello there. Hello. Uh, just a quick uh, little bit of groveling, actually, before the episode begins. We'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star review on Spotify or the equivalent of a five-star review across all of the podcasting platforms that we are on, mm. including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Google, or Audible. Also, if you happen to be someone that isn't just one of our friends or family members listening out of politeness, <laughs> uh, please feel free to follow us on the Cineboys to Cinnamon Instagram, which is C-I-N-E-B-O-I-S, the number two, C-I-N-E-M-E-N. Um, that would be a good way to sort of keep up with what we're up to and uh, various little bits and pieces as well. And finally, all there's left to do is to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners for their continued support be that friends, family, or just the uh, randomers who stumble across us in the podcasting realm. It really, really means a lot. We're still pretty green with this sort of thing, but we absolutely love doing it, and yeah, your continued support really keeps us going. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Right, grovelling out of the way, on to the episode. Cineboys to Cinnamon, episode 18. 18. 18. 1-8. 1-8. 10 and then an 8 after that added together. (laughs) Closing in on the 20 as well. Uh, Hope you're well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Ben, announcement. Yes, uh, we've finally been granted an email address from uh, the overlords at Google. Uh, It's cineboys to cinnamon at gmail.com. C-I-N-E-B-O-I-S-2, number 2. C-I-N-E-M-E-N at gmail.com. Yeah, big news. I know, for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 18 episodes in, finally. <laughs> yeah, it's just a way for, for you guys to communicate with us, you know. If you have any questions about some of the things we talked about or you want to berate us for having shit opinions, yeah. which you're more than welcome to do, please mm. feel free to do so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd be amazed if we get more than one email, to be honest. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll look yeah. forward to that one email. We'll get one and it'll be like uh, that security alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like signed yeah. in from another like device. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be so depressed. Get really excited each time yeah <laughs> this week Bo is afraid yep Ari Aster's anxiety-fueled odyssey across America mm. a film that we saw in the watershed yesterday both of us came out of it feeling pretty mixed about it didn't we I didn't really know what to think about it at the time I didn't hate it by any stretch but I wasn't nearly as fond of it as I was uh, Ari Aster's previous two films so mm-hmm. yeah it was interesting yeah, I'm sort of with you. I, th- I think it's grown on me a little bit more. Mm. I th- sort of remember we kind of remarked to each other upon coming out of the film that it, when it's good, it's really fucking good. Yep. Uh, but there was it also felt quite laboured in parts mm. and sort of quite difficult to get through. Yeah. Um, which I guess is probably Ariaster's intention, given the film is about anxiety <laughs> in all of its various guises. But yeah, no, we'll save that for for the discussion. But it's interesting you mention his two other films because I think this sort of prompts a broader discussion around his movies, mm, around the themes and ideas that come very much to the forefront in this film. Yep. Um, and also a little discussion around sort of anxious cinema, yeah, films about yeah. anxious lead characters or have a, 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 a certain anxiety around them that resonates with this viewer. Mm. We've handpicked a couple of choices of those as well, so it should be a really interesting episode. Yeah, definitely. I reckon. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Right. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Questing the cinematic void. 
Okay then, so before we start sort of getting into the nitty-gritty of Ariaster's work and then of course Boa's Afraid, we thought we'd talk, we thought we'd talk through a couple of examples of anxious cinema. Yes. Uh, go on Ben, you start. Uh, Alright, uh, you can't not mention Uncut Gems, you just can't not no, mention No, you can't, it. you're absolutely right. Uh, it's like talking about sci-fi without mentioning 2001 A Space Odyssey, it's the anxious cinema equivalent <laughs> of 2001 A Space Odyssey. I like that. Uh, yeah, I love Uncut Gems, I've seen it about three times now, it's just, it's just so frenetic, mm. and there's a clear difference, because the lead character isn't really anxious, it's everything... It's the audience who's anxious mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because of how kind of good-natured but very, very troubled <laughs> yeah. kind of lead character. He's sort of, he's a, he's a gambling addict and he just, he's so reactive. Everything is sort of building up around him and it it frequently comes to a head. Like the music really like channels that and the cinematography is like really tight close-ups to sort of spin around mm. and there's conversations going on left, right and centre. Like the sound mix is just bonkers like yeah. absurd and um as an exercise in in kind of delivering anxiety as a weird form of entertainment it is just just perfect uh, yeah completely agree i think the safety brothers are the masters of that yeah um i also think as a brief aside they are like you know they've sort of bought new york back to the sort of cinematic forefront in a way that scorsese did with mean streets really you know I, mean? I didn't think Do you know what i mean like that, yeah. even though mean streets isn't really actually shot in new york a lot of it's shot in la but yeah you know that the idea of just you know characterizing the city yeah um i think i can't think of two uh, filmmakers that are as effective in doing that since the great filmmakers from the 70s and the yeah. subsequent work after that maybe spider-man Oh yeah, maybe. Okay. That. Although that was shot in LA. There, so, there you go. go. You see, yeah, it's strange, yeah. isn't it? We have you know this this sort of affection for the landscape of New York. Yet so many yeah. films, it's not even shot there. No, no. Really strange. Like Scream Six the other day, shot yeah, in Toronto, yeah. was it? Yeah, Toronto, yeah. Like Canada, somewhere. It's yeah, ta- yeah. Tax breaks, man. Like New York is just really expensive because you have to close streets down and stuff. It's just impossible. Yeah, yeah. really difficult. But no, I, I think that's really interesting. You pick up on that as sort of like the anxiety around the character, not necessarily the character being anxious himself. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you're party to just an absolute car crash. Yeah, yeah. And the powerlessness that you feel as an audience member. Yeah. Um, is where the anxiety resides. Yeah, you know, it really that, encourages that sort of uh, audience participation. You just want to shout at him. Yeah. To go stop. Yeah. Please, stop. you're making me feel horrific. Yeah. And yet it's not an unpleasant watch. I don't think. I mean, in no. a way, you could you could sort of say that it is, uh, but it is just sort of yeah, five hundred miles an hour entertainment and yeah, watching this character just crumble. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of slowly sliding down the mountain, isn't he? Yeah. And yeah. He, he, and he sort of gets moments where he sort of clings on for a little bit. Yeah. And he might even get like, maybe sort of scramble up to keep the shit metaphor going. Yeah, yeah. He sort of scrambles up a little bit <laughs> and then he slips again. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it, there's a sense of inevitability to his situation. It's, mm. And it's a self-made inevitability, isn't it? Like, oh, completely. Yeah. And yeah. even, and despite that, you feel a degree of sympathy and even empathy for him on the basis of... Mm. The fact he's obviously not an evil guy. No. He's just a person driven by impulse, as you said. Yeah, yeah. And that impulse has put him in this situation and he continues to lead him down a darker, yeah. ever darker path. Mm. And um, yeah, as an audience member, you are just completely powerless to it and you're with him for that journey and you're with yeah. him for that ride. And mm. Yeah, I think they're just two filmmakers you can't not mention um, oh, when no. talking about it. I mean, even... Um, Good time. Good time. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, even good time is another exercise in building tension and anxiety. Yeah, yeah. It's similar as well. The characters are quite similar in that 
the, I think in good time he's a lot more he's a lot more manipulative. And you mm. kind of want to shout him to stop doing that and to stop sort of treating his brother this way and to sort of and it's always a fine there's always a quite a, a big sort of financial crutch that they that they have to sort of lean on and then ultimately sort of resolve in in both the films actually and i mean finance finance is a huge source of anxiety for i'd say pretty much everyone on the <laughs> yeah, planet yeah yeah unfortunately uh, yeah except for maybe like the centralese uncontacted tribes <laughs> um so yeah, I mean to use that as a, a narrative a narrative device is like really clever. I think. Yeah, um, it also there's a bizarre subject position going on with their films. I think because I even think with their early films like Daddy Longlegs, which is this film about have you have you seen Daddy Longlegs? I've not actually. No, it's like a film about this sort of like this well intentioned but pretty shitty father in New mm. York again. Right. Yeah. And uh, there's even like an intensity there. It doesn't have like the the stakes aren't as high mm. and it's not as neon drenched or as intense, but there's something like yeah. wonderfully uncinematic about the dialogue yeah, in, in yeah. their films um, that sort of juxtaposes with the sort of really, as you said, frenetic, yeah. fast paced, sort of delirious camera moves, the yeah. intense soundtracks, like the dialogue almost doesn't suit the styling of right. the films. Do you okay. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that all makes it all the more intense because the dialogue is rooted in some semblance of reality. Yes, if, yeah. If, this, if the camera, like, sh- like, fucking darting around everywhere and there's, like, lurid colours and all that sort of thing, mm. that is sort of re- really well offset by that sort of bizarre... Yeah, sort of almost kitchen sink style dialogue yeah, in some yeah, cases. Yeah. Great directors I, to mention. Yeah, yeah. I think the way this, the very quick, the way the screenplays are constructed as well. Like, what can go wrong does go wrong, right? Yeah. So I, I always think they'd be great at making a, a film about a family trying to board a plane, and just having every you, you had like a really nightmare. Like a, sort of a nightmare trip to an airport, and everything's just fucking going wrong. Like the plane's delayed. Like you've lost your passport, or your wallet, your keys, or like you didn't have travel insurance, or your visas have run out, or something like that. I imagine they'd be so good at making a film about that. <laughs> yeah, just because yeah. like what can go wrong just does. Like that's just how it. And again, that contributes more to the, that sort of horrible, uh, almost the anxiety drilling into your into your ears. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna bring up a film that I. Uh, sort of forgot about until this we sort of decided to focus on this subject area uh, Lars and the Real Girl oh right yeah yeah, um, yeah. what's his name Ryan Gosling yeah, yeah, yeah have you seen this one yeah a lot a while back yeah. I have seen it though so what I love so much about this movie is how like the sort of side characters around him rally around this this guy in this really bizarre circumstance that he's put himself in uh, Ryan Gosling plays an individual who has a schizoid personality disorder a psychological condition in which a person shies away from others uh, and avoiding interactions at all costs. Okay, yeah. So he's yeah. a shut-in. Um, he doesn't really have many genuine um, emotional connections with anybody. Then mm. one day he decides to buy a sex doll. Yeah. <laughs> and this sex doll becomes his lover. Yes. Uh, or companion, but not in the sort of seedy sense that you would typically attribute to a sex doll. No. Not there's anything wrong with owning a sex doll. Well, no. You have one. <laughs> <Ben>. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's sort of more like a crutch for him, like a, yeah. like a, a companion, a life partner, mm. someone to share his time with. Yeah. And the way the film makes that so feel so sweet and so earnest is one of the film's great strengths. Yeah, yeah. Particularly impactful for me was how everyone around him in the town or village is completely sort of supportive of it. Mm, yeah. And they all sort of help him through it. 
on the advice of a psychologist that just says, look, get him through this phase and he will come out better. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, it sort of speaks to this idea about maybe having to like get go through these journeys with these people in your own way. Yeah. Instead of just either sort of medicating. Of course, medication has its place. Yeah. We're sort of, we're, we're sort of straying into territory again <laughs> that we have very little idea about. But, you know, of course, medication has its place as a form of treatment for any sort of disorder or kind of depression or anxiety. Mm. But I think there's a lot to be said for being supported by people you care about, being supported by professionals. Yeah. That sort of helps to establish a platform for you to sort of break out of it, break free from it. Yeah, develop. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and just be able to you know, in, in Ryan Gosling's character's case, form meaningful relationships with actual human beings, which yeah. for someone like him is so difficult to do. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, it's a bit different from, like, anxiety, but I think, obviously, for him, mm. his, his, his neurological state is obviously the origin of a lot of anxiety for him. Yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of sort of mental illness stems from anxiety or is a feature of anxiety, uh, of, of the mental condition. Almost in all cases, because it's something different from the norm. And so the society you're in is, you know, you're not used to that behavior or not used to those sort of tropes. And so you're going to be anxious, aren't you? Because yeah, you don't yeah. fit in. I, I, I always thought, yeah, I remember Lars and the Real Girl being a bit of a sort of taboo breaker in that respect. Yeah. Is it just sort of a bit like Her, another Joaquin Phoenix film, actually. Yeah. And the yeah. way it kind of uh, handles humanity's uh, relationship with technology. And it, that I always remember being quite surprising that it's very uncritical. I think we talked about her in the past, actually. Yes, I think we have, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just so uncritical of uh, of a, a guy falling in love with a, a an operating system. I mm. love that, how sweet it ends up being. Um, so similar in that respect. I Agreed, think. yeah. Mm. It sort of just encourages people to go off the beaten track and be a bit more open and, for, and accepting. Yeah. You know, I think the, there's elements or moments in the film where certain characters struggle to maintain mm. this sort of like um, well-meaning was well-meaning approach because yeah. they find it genuinely unsettling. Yes, um, and that speaks to this idea of you know having to confront these things head on and how difficult that is for everyone else. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think there's often a reason why so many people would rather just medicate <laughs> or whatever is because they don't want to have to see someone go through that or indeed be part of that journey. Yeah, which is you know in some in some respects understandable because it is a difficult thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Go, you know, going through a journey with someone who is suffering with some mental health issues, you know, it, it's really difficult on them too. Yeah, yeah. So I can you can sort of the film sort of treats that perspective with respect. Yeah, yeah. But overwhelmingly favors the positive aspects of how they treat Ryan Gosling's character and how they get him through this stage in his life. Mm. And it ultimately benefits him. Obviously, it's a bit, you know, it's kind of rom com which I think the film plays with quite well. Yeah. So obviously, there's like a quick resolution and everything's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so there's elements of that that aren't quite um, accurate, I guess. Yeah. But I just think as a portrayal of this idea about, as I say, going off the beaten track and, and being more open and being less driven by perceptions of what normality is. Yeah. You know? Because ultimately, normality is something that's just been decided by people before you. You don't have a clue, really. Mm. Um, so it's always best to be open to difference. And that might really have a much... I mean, I'm sort of... Again, sort of I have to get off my soapbox in a minute. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it might have a more positive impact on those that are struggling and suffering if they go out into a world that's a bit less judgmental and, yeah. 
I think true. it's interesting that you mention her as well because again that's another film that treats that quite well with grace yes and with humour too I mean yeah, humour is yeah. really important mm. um, as it is in Lars Real Girl there's some really quite funny moments with the sex doll when they go out for dinner and stuff yeah, and, yeah. you know they're sort of awkwardly eating and no I, I just thought I'd mention it because it's a film that I've not thought about for a long time and in this context it felt sort of valid yeah definitely yeah that's a good pick, pick actually I didn't think about that one I also wanted to kind of stray back into darker territory. Go for it. Uh, every film directed by Gaspar Noe. <laughs> every film yeah. he's yeah. ever made is just so... Into the quagmire. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just, I mean, anxiety, again, similar to Uncut Gems, anxiety-inducing. So, to the extreme, though, isn't it? I mean, he oh, really yeah. wants to fuck you up. Yeah, it's like theatre of cruelty. Yeah. It's not meant to really be enjoyed, I don't think. No. Um, Although I did quite enjoy Climax. The way okay. it was shot was really quite nice. I see. I haven't seen it, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll put it on the list. It's pretty horrendous. I'll bump it, it up. It's a real simple like plot. What happens is there's a bunch of dancers rehearsing in a, in a space, in like a big sort of warehousey space, and someone spikes their sangria with acid, and the reaction to the acid obviously differs from person to person. Some people are having like a whale of a time, and others just like, start to sort of tear their eyes out <laughs> it's really really gruesome and um similar vibe to irreversible and has a horrible low drone that goes yeah. the, the, the sound the sort of sound design in irreversible and climax is just you know that's yeah, horrendous yeah. i think yeah. it's a it's a frequency which is um sort of known to that pylons apparently have the same frequency um i'm not sure if there's any science behind this it might be a bit pseudo-scientific but it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. Right. That's another reason why a lot of people uh, report seeing ghosts on the London Underground, because it's, it's the frequency of this sound can make you sort of like, sort of auditory vis- visual hallucinations and stuff like oh, that. Oh wow! Okay. So he's used this in in a film. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's Gaspar Noe all over. It is. Yeah. He's yeah. he's not interested in implicating any kind of audience uh, impulse. He wants you to wade in the in the mire. Yeah, oh my God, yeah, yeah. Which I sort of have always admired him for, even if I find his films really difficult to get through. Mm. Um, I haven't watched any of his films for a very long time. I sort of had a mini binge when at uni and I thought that's sort of enough. Oh God, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Even though I, you know, that's not necessarily a reflection about how I feel about his work because obviously it's not brainless. He, He knows, you know, he's doing it for a reason. Yeah, man. But it's just, it's hard to get through his films. Oh, and that's yeah. part of the reason that probably I haven't watched Climax for that same reason, because I'm just not sure if I'm ready to step into that world again. It's it's like an hour of quite interesting stuff, and then another hour of pretty, like, brainless nastiness. Um, whereas I thought, what I thought Irreversible has over that is the narrative structure yeah. and the sort of one-take thing. Yeah, you yeah. Forget us that one t- like a, It's a constructed one-take, so there's edits and stuff, but it's all... Um, all one shot you know after the editing it all looks like one shot and then uh, I love how amazingly happy the ending is as well do you remember the ending to Irreversible yeah yeah it's just like lovely yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. two people in a relationship sitting in a park uh, but obviously you know what's coming in that sort of the weird like it has that memento style yeah. film structure doesn't it yeah but, um, yeah, yeah yeah in terms of inducing anxiety it does so via content alone I mm. think and uh, yeah filled with all sorts of gruesomeness which i don't think we need to get into really (laughs) no yeah there's some pretty horrible scenes in his filmography um i guess he sort of he sort of feels like lars von trier would be another one of that sort of not perhaps quite as i mean 
Antichrist, I guess. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, you know, I was thinking like melancholia. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like that sort of sense of powerlessness. Yes. Um, which I think Boas Afraid deals with really well about how you know, the sort of if your surroundings are already quite difficult and troubling, or you're dealing with some sort of upcoming event or, or, or you know d- traumatic event, mm. yeah, anxiety has a tendency to superimpose a greater level of horror on it. Yeah, than it yeah. Worse. Yes, completely. which I think is one of the great strengths, particularly of the first hours of Boas Afraid. But we'll we'll get into that later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I sort of found myself thinking about melancholia quite a lot in that, uh, in that first hour. Yeah. Um, Von Trier is someone that is very open about his own struggles with depression and his oh, yeah, and yeah. his films are very sort of emblematic of that struggle, I think. Oh, completely, yeah. They, um, I mean, melancholia is, I think, out of the three, he's got a trilogy, hasn't he? Sort yeah. of depression trilogy. Yes. Um, I think it's my favourite of the three, actually, just because it... I like the size, the the way it handles the sci-fi element and how yeah, it kind I of, agree. and the idea that as this planet gets closer, the the um, Kirsten Dunst characters, her, her depression sort of goes away, mm. whilst everyone else's sense of dread gets worse. It's so odd that this planet can be almost like a a, a cure, and like it, it's like everything she's been feeling forever everyone else is now experiencing yeah and, and yeah, she is yeah. on she's all of a sudden on everyone's level because everyone is just so frantic and shocked about this like kind of world ending event and i love how uh, i love how happy she is at the end yeah <laughs> it's just very yeah, yeah it's always... a strange it's a strange ending isn't it mm. yeah yeah good good movie yeah it is i love it, it definitely i think it might be one of my favorite films of his yeah full stop actually mm. now i think about it yeah really interesting um, yeah Ari Aster then, should we should we, should we yeah. get into him? A filmmaker that sort of rode the A24 horror film wave Yes, to critical acclaim. Mm. Uh, a filmmaker that I think we've talked about before in the context of horror films a couple of times. We have, yeah, yeah. yeah I think we did our Annie's Men episode, he came up, I think. Yeah, folk yeah. horror, yeah, so Midsummer. We, oh, must, we yes. must have talked about that. That's, yeah, quite right, yeah. Aster was a sort of part of this cluster of A24 Filmmakers, yeah, yeah, whose mission it seemed would be to make horror films that were scary, not necessarily because of you know a sort of formulaic approach to like violence or jump scares, yeah, yeah, you know things of which are totally valid in the in the right way, mm, yeah, but instead lacing elements of horror or finding elements of horror or extracting elements of horror from daily life, yeah. Be that. yeah relationships or anxiety yeah family drama family drama yeah. yeah and and finding like a sort of fresh sense of terror yeah. that really revitalized i think the horror genre mm. it's interesting that the themes that he started out with in hereditary which was his debut feature yeah i know he wrestled with that a lot in a few of his short films which i've heard are quite good i've not seen any of them actually oh yeah it's like a student Films. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, so, you know, in, in Hereditary, right through to Bo is Afraid, you can see a real clear line of, prog- of progression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of how he is dealing with very similar themes. He's presenting them in sort of different ways. Yeah. But there's so much similarity. Mm. And it really feels like, a sort of as I think I alluded to in the intro, that it sort of bubbles over in Bo is Afraid. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah. Hereditary is an incredibly anxious movie. Oh, my God. Familial yeah, yeah. difficulty. Um, both in the sort of relatives you've lost, yeah. reflecting on the difficult relationships of you know parents, mm, parents yeah. and children, and those sort of unspoken frustrations and, and anger that ends up sort of manifesting into a real 
dread-inducing sense of sort of horror, quiet everyday horror. Yeah, that yeah. lingers in the walls of that house. Oh god, yeah. You know, like I don't know. I think part of the reason why that film in- impacted me so much was because of that. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, being party to situations like that you know you're all told that when you you know there's this really sort of uh face value approach to family that their family you love them and of course that's true yeah, yeah, yeah. but like the way Aster sort of like just gets under the skin of that really sort of po-faced philosophy and starts to sort of like just peel it yeah and reveal the festering wounds within you know yeah and it's not necessarily the most it's not like the most shocking moments of the film that chilled me the most. It's those moments, the mm. family dinners, the, yeah. the stilted interactions, the sort of coldness yeah. you know, shown between family members that are trying their best to sort of live to that idea that family is like sacred and yeah, family yeah. is perfect. And it's just clearly not the case. No, I feel, I feel like in Hereditary, they've the reason why they're so miserable is they've just got bogged down in such an uh, such a routine and you, it's so clear they've been doing the same thing and kind of putting on this facade for so long you, you're you're part of a great american family right you, you, yeah. you, you must be happy you have to like we've got this beautiful house we've got we've got plans and and then all of a sudden you know the the, the death of uh it's it's her mum isn't it it's mm. tony collette's character's mum who's uh recently passed away and it, 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 that kind of just peels back that already sort of thin guise of normalcy mm. and and then it just goes goes from there really i mean there there's also i mean the, the, i think the best moment in the film is right in the middle and I, i'd say best in a very loose term because it's horrific what happens he, he accidentally basically accidentally kills his sister doesn't he decapitates his <laughs> yeah. sister yeah. yeah smokes some weed at a party she has like she goes into anaphylactic shock and she, and is trying to catch her breath outside of a, out the window of his car, and just smacks into a lamppost. I was like, okay, yeah, that was something moment, different there. Yeah, yeah. this yeah. is a different movie. Like this is yeah. a new, this is like a new kind of style of horror, which you know, and, and expect the unexpected. Really, mm. I thought I, I, uh, I do have uh, slight problems with Hereditary. Where um, everyone seemed to love the bit where she's floating up in the air, stabbing herself in the neck. Mm. I really hated that. I was like, why? Oh, that's really needless. I thought it was really gratuitous compared to the kind of the rest of the film. Um, okay. I thought it was a little. I thought it actually leaned a little bit too, uh, too much into convention towards the close, okay. towards the climax. Yeah, yeah. So I was intrigued as to like what that blue light thing was. Uh, which is it's like a demon, isn't it? I can't mm. remember the name of the demon. Yeah, demon had a ridiculous name. Another <laughs> thing I didn't like about it. I always thought the demon in the Exorcist had a ridiculous name as well. Um, <laughs> I can't remember it. It's biblical, some kind of biblical. Yeah, yeah, name, like yeah. Pazu, Pazuzu or something like that. Oh, yeah, um, something like the Exorcist, that. Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. Um, change the name. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> uh, nobody talks about that. Anyway, I, I digress. Um, That's an interesting takeaway. I mean, I think. One of the things I really like about Ari Aster, and I think you think about like Robert Eggers or mm. David Robert Mitchell, and amongst and a few of the other um, A24 horror filmmakers, is that they they intertwine you know anxieties and themes and ideas that are very prescient or prevalent in our lives yeah. with the supernatural storylines or creatures or the kind of things you expect in a horror really well. Yeah, yeah. And I absolutely take your point that towards the end he sort of leans more into convention. Mm. But there's something I quite liked about that ending, even though it sort of undermined a lot of that sort of brooding thematic brilliance that had worked for like three quarters of the film. Yeah, yeah. I just quite like that he just sort of like pops the lid right. <laughs> towards the end. Okay. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I just think it's the same with Midsummer, like 
Midsummer is just like an even slower build up, yeah, and even yeah. more sort of tension, and even sort of like even even to the point it becomes like laborious, but not in like mm. a bad way. I don't no. know, it's yeah, maybe yeah. the wrong word to use, but and then he just goes fucking balls out of the bath and just does this crazy fucked up weird ending. Oh man, I, I thought completely it... surrenders itself to the mythology. Yes. That, that the sort of thematic weight is sort of intertwined with, which I kind of quite like. I mean, I absolutely take your point though that it is conventional. Yeah, yeah. Um, it worked in Midsummer for me though. Like I see, love yeah, that yeah, film. It's interesting. Yeah. I really love that film from start to finish. Even the director's cut, which is fucking long, um, it it really does just hold. I thought Midsummer really holds its held its water, um, and and the anxiety was so kind of nuanced in the way it was presented mm, oh god yeah. and you know you think about a film like have you seen matchstick men <laughs> the way that handles mental health problems it's, i don't think i have it's no. a ridley scott film about a guy who has obsessive compulsive disorder oh, but it's, okay it's so i can sort of half picture the poster yeah yeah him and sam rockwell like smoking cigarettes outside yeah. with palm yeah, trees yeah, yeah, black yeah. and white yeah yeah um yeah the way that handles sort of you know, anxiety and stuff is so just conventional and so outdated. I mean, it was made in 2002, so fair play. But I think it's interesting that since then, and, and you know, since the world has started to acknowledge anxiety with a little bit less, like, um, I don't know, bullishness and more kind of, it's more accepting of it now, I think, than it was 20 years ago. Like, do you remember the phrase mental breakdown? Nobody mm. uses that anymore. Yeah. Because people have decided, or not decided, people have like realised that, that there's a lot more complexity to it than they initially thought. Mm. And people aren't just a write-off anymore. Um, yeah. And I think film, and definitely in the case of Midsummer and Hereditary, more so with Midsummer, I think, have kind of reflected that. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, like oh, I love, I bloody love Midsummer. I want to watch it again now because it's it, great. I mean, yeah. I've only seen it. I think I've only seen it once, and that was in the cinema. Oh, okay. Um, but I mean, wow, what an experience that was! Um, I saw it right before a funeral. Oh wow, that yeah, must have made it all yeah. the more intense. Strange. I yeah. mean, I, I, it's such, conf- such conflicting. Cause it was, you know, naturally, it's quite a sad time and. And we went to see this film, which was was not a, a happy movie at all. Like no, it is about no stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it deals with th- things like death and what can happen to you afterwards. And then, to but but I loved it at the same time. I was like yeah, weirdly yeah. refreshed by it, and um, I don't know. But, what I like, uh, I really like about Midsummer is that it sort of showcases Astor's sort of macabre, sardonic mm. sensibilities as well. Like yeah, he is yeah. someone that really understands humour yes. and where to sort of pepper even the most sort of horrible, harrowing or tense moments with humour. Yeah, yeah. He's completely. so good at that. And I also think the presentation of that of anxiety is something that helps or not helps mm-hmm. that sorry. Uh, as anxiety is something that dogs your worldview. Right, yeah. mentioned that a little bit earlier in the context of Bear is Afraid. I think, as we said, one of the film's great strengths is the way that, you know, when you're anxious, when you're in this headspace, the way you perceive the world around you, the news you read, even the relationships with people that you hold dear, Mm. you know, it has such sort of sway and power in how you view those things and people. Yeah, yeah. And I think, obviously, it's... Florence Pugh deserves a huge amount of credit. Oh Christ, yes, for her performance because it's absolutely mm. fantastic. Unsurprisingly, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's like she's just gone through this moment of just unspeakable trauma. Mm, yeah, and it's you get the impression she wasn't 
particularly I think she was quite an anxious person before that happened. Yeah, yeah, you can see her relationship is starting yeah. to break apart, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like this idea that like, you know, the troubles of others, the troubles of your family almost makes this, this sort of anxiety sort of feel like hereditary. Yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like you inherit <laughs> those anxieties yeah. on the basis of the behaviours and the anxieties of your forebears, the people yeah. before you. Mm. And it just becomes this cycle that almost sort of infects the way that you perceive your immediate environment, the people around you. And what I think Midsummer generates tension in is not only that, but the way people perceive that anxiety yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. Even loved ones, like yeah. you know, her boyfriend in this case. He's so, you know, he's obviously sort of, he's obviously torn between like this sort of like bro, laddie <laughs> attitude towards women and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think some affection for her. Yeah. Uh, and also his own personal motivations and his you know and that only amps up the tension the relationships yeah. between the characters is so masterfully done it's so inch perfect mm. throughout that film you know my favorite scenes of the film was when they're arguing over like their, their sort of dissertation topic yeah yeah and yeah. they're both doing the same thing that's right yeah i just think fucking hell like <laughs> you know it's something that in, in the grand scheme of everything that's going on in the movie is so yeah. sort of like small yeah but it just asks just it's just dialing everything up so slowly that by the end even like a disagreement about a dissertation feels grand yes yeah amongst yeah amongst all completely. of this fucking shit that's about to befall this group of young people mm. Midsummer's always a really uh, I think it's the best example of Ari Aster putting stuff in the background for you to notice mm -hmm. second third watching mm -hmm. like uh, second third watching <laughs> second <laughs> on a second or third viewing rather both her parents put um, like gas marks masks on and connect them to the, like a car exhaust and just go to bed don't they yeah yeah um and there's an, an image of that in a hedge somewhere in the film right and it's just like it's just there. You can just see like the leaves kind of form the picture of that, and he, it's just in the background for you for you to kind of register without registering it, mm -hmm. and to kind of get reminded of the gravity of what Florence Pugh's character must be feeling, um, and it's filled with that kind of stuff, that kind of imagery in the background. And so it, textured, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not done in that kind of. Um, you know, E.T. in the Phantom Menace kind of way. It's not like, <laughs> remember this? It's like really, it really means something to the plot and like, you yeah. know, that kind of visual cue. Uh, yeah, he does that so well. There's a few instances in Bo is Afraid which I quite admired as well. Yeah. Uh, I sort of picked up on. Yeah, he's, he's you know, he really is very considered in his approach. Mm. It's not just about performance or camera movement or anything like that. As you say, it's that sort of, the background action, the activities yeah. of other characters, all these little images that he dots around. Yeah. It's all about sort of sub completely submerging you in the themes and ideas of the film. Mm. It's interesting though, because this is a bit of an aside, but when we talk about this A24 horror movement of like slower paced horror movies, they're really quite divisive. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's because, you know, so many people are conditioned by these sort of like found footage or like possession movies that are yeah, out there yeah. have got a very sort of set formula and approach don't be wrong there can be some good ones yeah, yeah. there isn't but like you know this idea that you know that horror films don't have to sort of like instantly satisfy your expectation it's not like yeah. you grow being gratified you actually have to suffer yeah. to get to these points oh yeah yeah and i think that's why when i think about my sort of negative opinions on aspects of Boa's afraid it sort of cushions them a little bit right okay because i yeah, think yeah. about it in the context of midsummer which is a difficult movie to get through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deliberately so. Mm. And I wonder, I'm not saying it necessarily means that Bo is Afraid gets away with it. Yeah. But I think that as to submerging his films in his themes and ideas, which are deeply rooted in us, deeply rooted in all the viewers, 
mm. and then stre- elongating it over this long plot. Yeah. I don't know, like, I don't know, it sort of feels mm. like a, quite an interesting device. Yeah, also, I mean, definitely will warrant rewatch. I think, I think so. Bowie if we find three. the time, yeah, Christ, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe over spread over a couple of evenings. Yes, um, but yeah, no, you're totally right. Actually, um, the second second watch of Midsummer, the second watch of Hereditary, actually, uh, I, I was a lot more on board with both of those films on a on a rewatch. Okay, um, yeah, even though I really enjoyed them both of them the first time round, which is what worries me about Bo is Afraid ever so slightly because I, I didn't nearly as much as the other two. But that's not to say that there's some je- there's some stuff in there that I might not maybe cause, maybe because I was just tired or something I was tired or something yeah <laughs> it might have been it and we went to see it didn't we we were all tired with our friend Eleanor hello Eleanor if you listen yeah, yeah but you know yeah we were all a bit knackered in a way it sort of made it better mm, yeah it's strange I've had a few experiences like that I remember when I went to see um, Tarkovsky Solaris oh, they, they, they re-released it as part of the Tarkovsky season. And we were in a cinema in Derby. Me and my nan, actually. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, assuming you listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the It was it was one of those summers where it was just fucking unbearably hot. Right, yeah. And yeah. there was no aircon in the cinema. Oh, man. And it was yeah. like the most sweltering in <laughs> heat. It's like a really long, dense... <laughs> Russian sci-fi and yeah. I was like sort of coming in and out of like consciousness it was yeah. so hot oh my god but it sort of made the film more interesting like I don't know like okay. not more interesting that's a really quite a snobby twatty thing to say but it it kind of made the experience of watching the film more enjoyable yeah because yeah. you're in this sort of like heat induced haze yeah, yeah. <laughs> no so it can have an impact but yeah no I think uh, yeah I don't know there's lots to say about Birds Afraid and I think we'll get into that shortly but yeah definitely I think Aster is definitely regardless of you know this film. I think this film has definitely been his most divisive in terms of splitting critics. Yeah, um, because Midsummer and Hereditary tend to tended to do well with critics and divided audiences more. Yeah, and I would definitely. Yeah. Wager that's more down to what I was saying before about people having an expectation that is sort of reinforced by engaging with a certain kind of horror movie and not yeah. getting that when they mm. one criticism I, I, I read online I'm not going to say the person who said it and they're completely valid to say it but he said he, was, he said her, he felt Midsummer was like a shot like a student film what which I just I mean usually I'm you know I, but I take exception to that criticism I think yeah. that's such a ridiculous criticism considering how beautifully <laughs> film, shot the film is so. I know yeah they filmed yeah. that in Sweden I think um or did they film it in Sweden? Either they filmed it in... Probably filmed it in LA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to have it constantly sunny, that alone is really hard to do. Yeah. And also... Yeah, and also a brilliant thematic thing as well. Like yeah. the idea that horror... That, because, you know, we so often attribute horror with nighttime because mm. nighttime is when we're typically at our most scared. Yeah, and, and vulnerable. Yeah, well, and vulnerable. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, the dark conceals the dangers ahead, right? Yeah, indeed, yeah. But like in this case, it's in broad daylight right in front of them oh my god yeah the horror comes from what you can see in, in yeah. midsummer not and what, what you, you choose can't. to obscure yourself yes yeah, yeah yeah in the pursuit of like that dissertation or I don't know like a holiday or yeah, a sense yeah. of meaning or just a break from the horror that you're enduring in your home country yeah man yeah I think like mid well, another brilliant moment in midsummer is how he deals with like imagine you went to visit somewhere and you saw two people literally leap from the top of a big rock yeah, yeah. and have their skulls crushed and you stay there like on paper that's bonkers and it would alienate the vast majority of your audience somehow he manages to 
justify it. And and you they stay there afterwards and you're like, okay, I kind of weirdly get why they're staying here. Yeah. Like she obviously objects to it and there's a moment where they decide to like leave, but then they kind of weirdly don't. Like, there's a bit where her boyfriend goes, I'm trying to keep an open mind about this. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just love how he somehow manages to justify that. There's a ridiculousness that Asta completely sells mm, so yeah, well. Yeah. Like, and it's... Again, keep saying relating to Bo is Afraid, but in the first hour of Bo is Afraid, there's a ridiculousness that he sells so well. I don't know, it's just everything just feels so heightened to the point that you accept the sort mm. of silliness of it. There yeah, is a real yeah. silliness to it, a sort of thrilling, and even it's thrilling in the sense that it adds to the tension as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. And it also might boil down to what we were talking about before in our last episode, or two episodes ago, sorry, which is that cultural difference. You know, yeah, that, yeah. That, that sort of fear of not wanting to offend even yeah. if you see something that is as fucking horrible as that. I mean, I think most people you know, could be forgiven for wanting to leave upon yeah, seeing yeah, that, yeah, but yeah. maybe that could be an element of it. And in the world that Astra has created, that sort of feels valid. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So then, we keep mentioning it a lot. Uh, let's move on to the film itself. Yes. So we sort of said in our outro that we felt it was going to be like a big, sprawling American novel, like a Thomas Pynchon or Don DeLillo novel or something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. And... It's not often that we're right in our assumptions, <laughs> yeah. but we really kind of were, yeah, in a way, weren't yeah. we, in terms of, not to sort of like, you know, pat ourselves on the back too much, but it really had that vibe of a sprawling American novel that is sort yeah. of focused on one primary character, mm. um, but the characters he meets and the journey that he undertakes reveal so much about sort of the, the country that he inhabits or the country that he is traveling through yeah yeah completely yeah i just thought i thought the way it deals with that scattered narrative and it, it sort of invites you to pick the pieces up but part of me really actually didn't like that because it made me feel stupid <laughs> do you know what i mean like i was yeah, watching no, it and mean. i was just like am i meant to be understanding the through line here mm. if it's mental illness i'm getting it cool i'm on board with that i like how you're dealing with that if it's not i'm a bit, a bit lost and is that me am i just not clever enough to decipher your big <laughs> kind of statement piece or or is this just not as clever as you're making it out to be do you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, start start with the negatives i've got a lot to, there's a lot to love about this film um but yeah it did make me feel a bit like an idiot. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what I mean? I think it's a film that will reward with more viewings like his other Complete. movies. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's not it's not ridiculous to come away from a viewing of a film like this and feel like you've missed something. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, in a way it's testament to him as a filmmaker, not to sort of wank him off too much, but his films are so layered. Yeah. Even when they're the sort of most sort of convoluted and confusing and scattershot, as you say. Yeah. You can go back on a second viewing and start to pick apart the elements that you missed the first time round. Yeah, completely. Because you said, didn't you, you know, you watched Hereditary, you watched Midsummer, and you found a greater sense of appreciation for those movies on the basis that you picked up on details you missed Very the first true. time round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think... It's easier to do that, particularly when you're uh, watching a film in a, in, a, as a, in a cinema, when you're sharing an experience with people. Yeah. It's easier, you know, to, you know, you're heightened. Obviously, 
the shared experience of cinema going is one of the great joys of it. And in this particular yeah. example, it was one of the strengths of the film, I thought. I thought, yeah, a lot of um, audience engagement, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. is really lovely because it's rare that films do that these days. Yeah, yeah. To that to that extent, anyway. A lot um, of audible laughter. Yeah, yeah, real. Yeah. I mean, merited as well because it was yeah. hilarious. It was really funny, yeah. But um, no, no, I, I think there's something to be said about that, um, the idea that there's something quite bold about having a film you need a couple of watchers to sort of mm. really sort of get it and even then you know not to get too wanky but you know it's all about what you think right I mean yeah, that's the whole yeah. point I mean I'm of the belief that making a film or like as a, it's sort of like the loss of ownership you know what I mean oh like, yeah like the death of the artist sort yeah of yeah, yeah. I mean, don't be wrong I've, there's lots of filmmakers that I sort of hold in really high regard and admire and will defend to the hill you know mm. so it's not that I completely you know I'm not completely against the auteur theory no, idea, no, no. but you know, like the loss of ownership, I think is also probably more important to me as, as a film watcher because at the end mm. of the day, you're you're showing a film to a group of individuals that have all got different reference points yeah. as, from their own experiences and their own lives and their own histories, and yeah. so that loss of ownership theory, I think, really rings true, particularly mm. in cases like this where yeah. I think a lot of people are going to come away with different takeaways. Yeah, I think. Primarily, though, that it is about anxiety. Yeah, if I were to pick a topic I that think. it was about, yeah, I'd say it was about anxiety through uh, the fear of being judged. Yeah, and spe- more specifically, I don't know if you ever had it where someone's messaged you and you you like just forget to reply and you wait a few days and they message you again. You're like, oh shit! It's like that times a million because it's just <laughs> him not ringing his mum, <laughs> and then like the judgment he feels as a result of the circumstances that happen after the fact yeah uh and yeah that is where a lot of the anxiety apart from the ridiculous scenarios he finds himself in the sort of hijinks yeah. especially in the first hour um yeah a lot of it is about i suppose you know yeah just judgment really and uh, yeah. the fear of being judged uh, that's sort of like and again there's a through line through his filmography here that leads to this film leads to this point because mm. it's got the the family, the, dis, the sort of hidden, quiet family dysfunctionality of hereditary. Yeah, yeah. And it's got the way in which anxiety superimposes on the, our immediate environment and making it alien, yeah. like in Midsummer. Yeah, and, and love, both yeah. of these things are ramped up to eleven. Yeah, <laughs> um, and given like an additional layer by, I guess, the sort of focused nature of the performance, the mm. focused the way Aston really dials it in into, yeah. into you know into Joaquin Phoenix's character. Yeah, and how this sort of like relationship with his mum casts such a huge shadow over him and who he is. Yeah, yeah. The person he is, you know, the things he worries about, the experiences that he has not had in his life, positive ones. I yeah. mean, because of that because relationship of his with his mum, this sort of bizarre, possessive, almost Oedipal yes, <laughs> relationship. Completely, with his I got I mean, that vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, there's some fucked up shit going on there. That's, yeah. That, the Aster doesn't directly address head on, which I think again makes it more impactful. Yeah. The idea that he explored in Hereditary, we talked about this idea of like how anxiety can really come from family members. Yeah. I don't know, maybe we talked about it in the context of, of Midsummer as well, but how that can sort of they can really fuck your life up, particularly parents. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like... I mean, I, I'm not speaking from experience at all here. Uh, hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you can see that, yeah, through a lot of the through line in a lot of his films are definitely in Bo's Afraid that it's a cautionary tale about parenting in a strange way in that if you secularise your style of parenting, aka if you don't, 
keep your children open to experiences and, and sort of let them know, hey, this is coming. Adulthood is coming. You've got to be ready, but you've got to embrace it as well. And that is missing from the parenting yeah. style of his mum in Bo is Afraid. And as a result, he's so, I mean, he's just so damaged and you really feel for him, uh, particularly sort his sort of attitude around sex. And the, there's a sort of plot device in it whereby his mum has basically said every man your, your ancestry yeah, yeah. Every, uh, every man that's preceded you in your family has died right after they've lost their virginity yeah as soon as they ejaculate they yeah yeah and and it's gonna happen to you as well like that's the kind of vibe that he gets from her and so he's just so terrified of sex and by extension then uh, forming meaningful relationships yeah, it's just that that was quite a bit of a strength, I thought, of it. Yeah, it's quite and again, sad. It ties into that Oedipal mm. theme, doesn't it? That sort of that control. That yeah, sort of, I want you. You're mine. Yeah. And you're going to be mine yeah, forever. Like, you know, yeah. and, and by sort of embedding that lie deep within him. Yeah. And sort of, it's, it's almost like she's cultivating these anxieties with, yeah. we know, by saying things like that to him and really sort of taking her time and methodically constructing those anxieties within him to the point that. She's al- he's almost putty in her hands, and he's sort yeah. of aware of that. Mm, and yeah. He has a lot of resentment towards her for that. Yes. So yeah. he is self-aware enough to know that she's part of the reason, he, or a huge part of the reason that he's so fucked up. Yeah, yeah. But is also completely dependent on her mm. because of how well she's fucked him up. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like, and I think that was again, like you say, another real great strength of the film, and and Phoenix just plays plays that so goddamn well. I mean, yeah, there's you know, there's a sort of pathetic hilarity to his character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I really think that like looking at life with that sort of pathetic hilarity can be quite cathartic. Yeah, and in the case of Joaquin Phoenix's character, it is. Yep, and and it it derive you know it gives a lot of sort of sympathy and uh, towards the character a lot of empathy mm. based on experience. Yep, as a as a somewhat pathetic man <laughs> 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 myself, you know I can relate. Yeah, um, you know, but it's. Um, <laughs> oh. I don't know, I just agreed with you as well. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah you are I, I was meant to be like, uh, oh, no, you're all right. It's yeah, all right, you're okay, yeah. mate. No, it's fine. Don't worry. I know how you feel. <laughs> Last episode. Um, no, you know, but it, it, there is something like inherently sort of like mopey about him. Yeah. Which is yeah. also sort of a bit, a bit annoying. And it's not to the detriment of the film. It's no. kind of deliberate that way. Like mm. it speaks to this idea that anxiety, living with someone with anxiety, or knowing someone that's got really intense anxiety, as sympathetic as you can be and should be, yeah, yeah, you can't always be on your A game with those people. You are no. going to find that level of anxiety fucking annoying oh, to be God, around. Completely, yeah, yeah. And that almost generates attention and sort of makes you reflect more on how yeah. you deal with your own anxiety or with anxiety with others. If you're not in the right mood for it, it's yeah. fucking annoying. Oh my God, it's exhausting. Yeah, yeah it can yeah. be. And that's no, you know, that, that's no one's fault. No, it's just it's you know it's you and your situation, and if you're busy or tired or or you might want to just have some time to yourself, and then the sort of anxious person. And I'm sure everyone is sort of is the the recipient and the instigator of this mm. kind of thing uh, from time to time. I'm sure I am, and I'm sure everyone is. But like, yeah, it does play with that quite well. As an audience member, you are again like you want to shout at him, and and you want to at some point you just want to sort of grab him by the shoulders and be like you've got to stop this because it's not healthy yeah know? which in um, turn wouldn't be helpful for him anyway no way it would make but, it so much worse <laughs> you know it is it's fascinating and 
But I also find interesting, there's like an additional layer that sort of, there's a fantasy element to him as well. Like mm. he superimposes fantasy. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of, when you feel so powerless and you're so terrified of the immediate yeah. environment, that fantasy is almost an escape. You yeah, can imagine yeah. a better version of yourself mm. that will do those things, more fantastical things than you ever will. And it's almost like a relief, a safe yeah, space. Yeah. So there's all of these really complicated things going with him. And I must admit, you know, whacking, not I say must admit as if I'm, you know, <laughs> to say I love whacking Phoenix. But, yeah. you know, like he, he does such an amazing job juggling all of that yeah really complex stuff mm. he's good at he's really good at playing um kind of uh mild-mannered characters and everyone will probably remember him for his big bold performances like you know gladiator or joker but you know you've got to think of his other sort of more mm. i think he's a bit more dampened down in this one like he's a, he's the, you know the anxiety sometimes he's very kind of like uh shaky and but at the same time, the way he kind of interacts with other people is quite soft. Mm. And I like the way he does that. And I like the way he yeah. plays with that. I thought that was really good um, to kind of, to sometimes he lets other things take the lead. Uh, and yeah. that's really, I think it's a really honourable thing to do as an actor is to not steal every scene. Yeah. Um, and he does that really well. Um, that's a really good point, actually. I've not considered that about him. Yeah. yeah that's a really good point. I, I like always that. thought that. He's, he's very good at that. Yeah, yeah. and it, it frustrates me that people will probably think, Joker's his best performance, which is <laughs> no. fucking annoying for me because, yeah. as I've said before on this on this podcast, I don't like that film at all. But New. you know, like yeah, you know, there's so much good stuff that he's done, like The Master. Oh my mm. god, he's so good in that. Really, this, good. yeah, yeah. Her, you know, just to pick a few, like you know, this guy's got a, you know so much good shit. I almost feel like the Joker Oscar was like a way of saying, yeah, you probably should have won this before. Yeah, before this film, yeah. You know? he's really good in signs. He's quite a gentle soul in signs. Like yeah, man. Signs yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. we've said this before. I actually <laughs> yeah. like signs. But no, um, yeah, no, I, I think even when Asta dials things up to 11, he grounds that. Yeah, grounds definitely. those moments. Yeah. So let's focus on that first hour then. Yes. Um, because I think we sort of agreed that was the best part of the film. Yeah, really. I Consistently, think Consistently, so. there were great points that followed it more sporadically from that yep. point onwards. There were some sure. good moments afterwards, but the first the hour first was... Bit, just really sort of... Um, we were in for a treat in that first hour, oh, weren't it's we? It's just... Yeah. <laughs> and, and we were... We just... You know, what we do every, every uh, Wednesday or Thursday when we do our podcasts, or occasionally Sunday, as we did last week. Yes. <laughs> what we do is we'll meet up, we'll have some food, and we'll talk through what we're going to do. And I said to you... Um, the first hour of this film reminded me of Southland Tales. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, mate, I've been thinking that all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another bit of just agreeing with each other again. Yeah, yeah. No. But, you know, like that first hour, it just sort of had that sort of real, it really sort of caught this sort of like early 2000s paranoia, you know, like yeah. <laughs> even though the film is set later than that, but it just channels that sort of like society on the precipice of considerable social change. Yes. Social political cultural change yeah 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 and not quite knowing what's going to happen no yeah and uh, richard kelly comes along and just tries to sort of bottle that anxiety and just yeah. sort of like shakes it to fizzing point and just empties it all over this <laughs> yeah. like two and a half hour mad sporadically great also pretty shit film yeah 
but great. I love South and Tails. We've we've defended yeah, this film yeah, before have, in this yeah. podcast, but <laughs> it channeled that energy for me. I think Astor's version of this sort of dystopian nightmare is a little bit more condensed and focused mm, yeah. than, than South and Tails, but it really was evocative of that for me. Yeah, completely. I actually think that where Southland Tales kind of triumphs over Bo is Afraid in Ooh. is its presentation of its setting is a lot more overtly sort of science fiction and so you buy into a, in Southland Tales I know you buy into a lot more of the ridiculousness whereas okay. in this is my kind of take on it anyway Bo is Afraid starts in a therapist's office and I thought I was in for quite a placid little film I had no idea about what was coming <laughs> and then I mean don't get, get me wrong I enjoyed it as soon as you get as soon as he gets chased by that heavily tattooed skinny guy oh, I was yeah. like alright this is that you're doing that right yeah, okay yeah, I'm yeah, on, yeah. on board with this um but uh, yeah i do think southland tales and why at the moment <laughs> i like it a little bit more is that it just it ran with the i don't know what's going to happen next in every scene kind of thing a little bit more interesting a little bit better but i yeah. kind of prefer the setting bears afraid in the sense that it feels like every everything that we know is there but it's mm. all just sort of like turned on its head ever so slightly yeah yeah so yeah. there's like an insanity that I don't know, like, I mean, this is going to probably just sound like a bit cynical, but, you know, I do feel that we're only a few steps away from having a society like that, yeah, where everything yeah. just goes fucking apeshit and everyone <laughs> just goes bonkers, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like he's got the sunglasses on from They Live throughout the film, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a film that is. Yeah. I've not thought of that for a while. It's great. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, yeah, I find that really interesting. We both thought Southland Tales, very different movies, but bottle that anxiety really well. Also, uh, both kind of not sophomore efforts Bowie's Afraid is his third major film but just the idea that they've had success in such kind of in, in such a broad way in the past and then a studio has given them a lot of money to do whatever they want it's the same thing right? yeah yeah so you've got to see yeah Richard Kelly's at right <laughs> here we go I love those big swings yeah we were yeah. talking about that over mm. pizza and shop bought potato salad really. <laughs> yeah but, you know like um <laughs> You know that the, the big swing. I just yeah. fucking love a big swing, yeah, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> I just love it when the studio is like, "Oh, this guy's good. Give him loads." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I think in Ari Aster's case, it's probably a little bit more. I mean, don't be wrong. Donnie Darko is a great movie, mm. but like, I think in Ari Aster's case, it's probably a little bit more like more thoughts gone into that. They've gone right. This guy's sort of you know, yeah, he's yeah. He's got two movies. This guy's obviously around to stay. Yeah, so yeah. Says he's calling this guy one of like the great geniuses of you know mm. cinema. Yeah, yeah. Contemporary cinema, like you know. But like, I just love that he's just made this sort of like film, and I kind of like there's things I don't like about it because yeah. it sort of reinforces that that big swing film. Yeah, you, you, it can't be perfect to be a big swing film. That's a big true. swing film has to have really good and some really dodgy things in it. Yeah, to be yeah. that <laughs> true, you know, like yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, but um, yeah, I I just love that. I, I love that he's gone out and done this, and mm. I just think that that. It's part of the reason why I sort of refuse to, to to get sort of really bogged down in my criticisms of elements of it, um, because I just love it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I um, I still have I mean, at the moment. I could still think of a fair few. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, but, but definitely too self indulgent. Yeah, completely. Yeah, uh, Ariaster's definitely blowing himself a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think he's. It almost feels like he's. So I just said I'm not going to get bogged down in criticisms, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> it sort of feels like he's believing his own hype a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think 
his hype is justified mm. in, yeah. in many ways because he's fucking great and I love his films and I really like this one even if there are things I'm like really unsure about but there is that element of look at me mm. you know he's sort of doing like intellectual wheelies yeah. you know like, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I just think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about you know feeling like a bit of an idiot when you come out of the cinema yeah it's... I, when I think about it in the context of what I've just said it kind of I can see what you mean about that yeah. being annoying, mm. even though the revisit might reward. Yeah, and I think I, there's something to that. I think thinking about is, it now. Yeah, this is the, what sets it apart from Southland Tales for me is when I came out. Well, I didn't go to see it at the cinema, but when I watched that for the first time, I wasn't. I didn't feel like an idiot. I knew no one else in the room knew what that film meant, <laughs> so I, it encouraged me to go out and read about it, and that was really stimulating. But with this, I felt I kind of got the impression. Some people in this room are going to pretend to know what that film's about. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, but maybe yeah, it was yeah. just me. Um, so but I'm going to watch it again, though. I really am. I'm actually quite looking forward to watching it again. I'll probably get it on uh, get it on Blu-ray or something. Uh, oh, dirty boy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even a 4K UHD Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Director's cut four hours long. Oh, I bet it will be as well. <laughs> yeah. No, I just think there's an element of that, and I and I admire the arrogance mm. because I think if you're going to make a big statement film, there has to be arrogance. Yep. Um, yeah, but, they all have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah Southland Tales is sort of a bit like that. Oh as well. yeah, it's so pompous. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, but I don't know. Like I, I, I think that it still sort of grated on me a little bit. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like it grated on me more initially, and it's sort of like it's not quite as yeah. The sandpaper that's being used is not quite as harsh as it was. <laughs> you know, I true. Know. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved the um, I loved the bit of the bit. There's a bit at the beginning which goes full on fantasy. And it's a play, and it go, you, he kind of goes into this play, doesn't he? Mm. Um, and really visually inventive, uses that kind of classic, almost school play, 2D cardboard cutouts of yeah, trees. Yeah, yeah. It, in the trailer, I saw it and I was like, oh, God. Yeah, I thought that looked fucking shit. Yeah, me too. I was really thinking, God, every director's got to have a bit of animation in their films yeah, now. Yeah, like, yeah. Actually, worked though. Like, yeah, I it thought, did. Yeah, I'll, I th- eat my hat on that one yeah yeah I thought um, when it actually was presented to me I was like oh that's really interesting and like it was big and bold with the it's like this strange narrative it strays into where he's almost imagining a simpler life which still has a, a tragic element to it yeah where yeah. He, he has these three sons and like kind of cultivate like lives off the land doesn't he um I quite like that. I don't, still don't know what it means. But Even I quite his like fantasies it. are sort of curbed by anxiety. Yeah, completely. Yeah, know? yeah. Which I think is quite relatable, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you sort of catch yourself. It's almost like he's, you know, he's he's catching this fantasy before it gets too far into the realms of ridiculousness. Because <laughs> yeah, if it does, yeah. it, it will almost in, deepen his anxiety or deepen his depression about his current existence. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's something to be said about you know retreating into a fantasy world all the time it's probably not great for you no no it just makes you realize how shit your hand is yeah yeah you know so in the in the real world so i guess to placate that you you have to introduce a certain amount of anxiety to that fantasy (laughs) to kind of bring you back i get the wife and the kids but then a a big typhoon kills them all you know yeah yeah exactly it makes you feel so much more sorry for it yeah um, no, I love it. I I really like the opening. The the the, st- the idea that anxiety breeds dystopia. I really like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They superimpose this dystopian horror on the world. Uh, you know, through sort of overconsumption in, of news, which is sort mm. of fairly prevalent in the opening part of the film. Yep, definitely. Um, the sort of busyness, and obviously that it's set during a period of history or near history where thing the, the wheels are coming off and society is yeah. losing its grip. 
Yep. And it's it's done quite well. Um, I think I think had the film focused on that more, it probably would have been a problem. Yeah. Um, because it did feel like you said, I sort of agree now. I think about it, it felt a little bit more superficial. Yeah, yeah. But in the context of the character and the themes of the film, and focusing exclusively on phoenix's or bow shall we yeah, say yeah it really worked i thought a lot of people have anxiety about urban areas mm. so being in a crowded city and for anyone who's that way inclined i don't really suffer from that i quite enjoy them but um for anyone who has that way inclined like it really preys on that anxiety yeah, oh yeah. because there's just crime everywhere and there's <laughs> yeah. like graffiti everywhere and you're never safe and you get chased or robbed or stabbed or killed or like hit by a car or there's gonna be a, like someone's gonna be like about to jump off a, uh, the top of a building like it, everything yeah. is all of those kind of ridiculous ideas about living in a city are just presented here yeah. <laughs> like so in such a sort of overt way I yeah. Thought. yeah it's sort of kind of yeah, this is such a tenuous link but like the death wish films yeah yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah do you yeah. know what i mean that's like yeah. how paul kersey sees the world yeah yeah you know? yeah interesting oh. um i even like so after he sort of moves from that space to the family that take him in after they knock him over yes I loved that bit. That mm. was brilliant. He yeah. sort of moved from that sort of, like you say, that urban anxiety into sort of like the quintessential American family unit. Yep. High flying parents, yeah. nice house, cracks underneath immediately. Yep. And yeah. the horror within that is just so brilliantly drip fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I loved yeah. that. I think that was almost on a par for me, is one of my favourites. Okay. And both the, I can't remember the actors' names. The, the couple yeah, yeah they're really good excellent. yeah probably my two favorite performances in the film aside from Joaquin Phoenix yeah yeah I, I funny enough that the first thing that really kind of got to me in a bit slightly negative way was that Jeeves guy I didn't find him that funny um I mean for a bit it's, I did it's got from the beasts doesn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. strange that's on the side yeah, yeah. Um, I enjoyed that but like I think the way they used him later on in the film was like a bit of a deus ex machina kind of thing right, it was like yeah. Uh, I don't know. I never. He was. I mean, it was quite funny in that the uh, the American family is sort of overly kind, aren't they? So they've taken in the yeah. uh, their sort of late son's military superior, haven't they? Yeah, he's like, his, he's like his sort of yeah, like a, a squaddy, one of his yeah, squaddies, yeah. yeah, from this war in Venezuela. Or yeah, yeah. Again, another implication of this sort of dystopian nightmare that's unfolding around this quiet American dream. You yeah, know? yeah, and he's just running about all the time, panicking. Um, yeah that bit was like because it was I mean there's a lot of silly moments in the film but like I was like this is this is all really good stuff still and there's like the tension so palpable but him doing this is starting to don't know I'm not sure about that and from there is when it the dip started to kind of happen yeah I think that the, the quality of the overall experience started to it, it started to wane I think mm, um, yeah. and it started to become a bit more of a slog but again I can't help but think that part of it it can't all mm. be just no. delirious comical brilliance no. that has, you know there's going to be these moments of prolonged meditative narrative stuff that's yeah, going on yeah, yeah. and you're going to have to just like it or fucking lump it mm, yeah you know? and i quite admire that about it but yeah and no, i also feel that it was yeah it started to get weaker and i think where it really started to go downhill was when he got to his his mum's house okay yeah for me yeah. you know because the film is about this odyssey across America going back to his to his mum's house mm. going back to his mum who for a large part of the portion of the film he believes 
has died. Yes. In a tragic, classic Ari Aster style death. Yeah, yeah, her, yeah. Her head is crushed by a chandelier. Yeah. And then, spoilers, I mean, I assume you've seen the film already, but obviously if you haven't, um, go and watch it or stick around, whatever. He goes back to the house, ends up having sex with a childhood um, fleeting romance yeah, that comes back yeah. as a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then she dies and then somehow in a sort of bizarre but quite hilarious but sort of like I don't know I was a bit like what way and then she the freezes mo- doesn't she yeah uh, yeah odd um, not unfunny <laughs> no uh, again it's that sort of macabre sensibility mm. of Ariaster. I just think his sense of humour is so well deployed in, in, in Midsummer. yeah not so much in Hereditary it's not as common in Hereditary there is some humour to it for sure but Midsummer is definitely where he starts to grapple with that humour and pepper it in these narratives yeah, yeah, and in Boa's Afraid, it's really well utilised at points, yeah. particularly like the first half, mm. and then sparingly as the film goes on. But again, I did feel like he was believing his own hype a little bit with that. Yeah, um, and then the mum comes back, and then it just all starts to become a little bit wishy-washy. Yeah, a bit wet, a bit wet, and I just I don't know. Like by that point, I was ready for the film to end. Yeah, me too, man. I thought it was going to end at that house. Mm. And I was like, this must be about three hours now. <laughs> must be about three hours. This, this is the last scene. And he's going to, like, yeah. And it just didn't. And there's a lot more to get through after that. Um, the bit in the house suffered from the same thing. The, and this is, like, the, literally the only thing I don't like about Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Long title. Um, <laughs> long it, film. <laughs> yeah, quite another long film. Uh, it just ling it the edit the pacing is so shit like it just it does this weird thing where someone will say a sentence and then just pause and then nothing for a while and like i don't know why like i th- the idea is to kind of construct this sort of uncomfortable atmosphere by these long awkward pauses it just doesn't work it just slows the film down i'm sorry yeah, <laughs> that okay. was what that scene really did really badly was the the pacing just like which up until that point had been all right. Mm. It just stops and it, yeah, never really recovers from that. No, I agree. Um, yeah, assassination of Jesse James has all these moments where, like, literally no one is saying anything and they're just staring at the floor. <laughs> Apart from that, brilliant movie, by the way. Like, love that film. Yeah, great piece. film. It's one yeah. of my favourites. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, I just, I don't, I don't know, like, I just think... Um... It was sort of drumming home a lot of the thematic stuff that had already been suggested pretty well throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and I agree. Come, and the, you know, yeah. the mum is just saying all the stuff that you know you sort of get the feeling that that was already all all there. Mm, and yeah, we had to have a character to run through it all. Yeah. It was quite interesting to get her perspective on the relationship. True. Yeah, and and sort of explore the idea as of anxiety as being and and depression as quite a selfish thing. Mm, yeah, it can yeah. make you quite selfish. Yeah, because no. you're putting your anxieties and the things that make you unhappy above everyone else's. Yeah, yeah. And that, in many cases, is justifiable because mm. you're not, you know, you're not in the right headspace to consider yeah. how your actions are impacting others. But mm. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, and obviously she had a lot of her own resentment, mm. and it sort of reminded me of the back to hereditary the the sort of um, scene with Tony Collette in the table when she's having a go at her son. Oh my god, um, I don't know what scene. I mean, that was brilliant in hereditary. Yeah, not so good here in Bo is Afraid because again I think all the thematic work had already sort of been done yeah um, but again it reminded me of that it had that energy to it which mm. I quite liked yeah but, yeah yeah overall ends in a bit of a whimper yeah I, I think thought. so yeah again yeah. second viewing might change my mind but for now a bit of a whimper of an ending yeah I think so in all three of his films he's got he's got to think about like drugs and like specifically like, quite soft drugs and the way that 
hallucinogenic drugs make people do stuff or yeah like so you got hereditary the most obvious instance of like he smokes a bit of weed at a party accidentally kills a sister but then there's a bit in midsummer where she takes mushrooms she takes a and there's the bit near the end with her boyfriend drinking a like mushroom tea and like tripping out and going and shagging a bunch of <laughs> like elderly women do you remember that yeah um so, and then in this, there's actually quite a standout moment, I thought, when he's in the car. That and he's cool. just like, yeah, yeah he, I'm fairly sure Ari Aster must have, like, smoked some weed at one point and just, like, just had a bad time. <laughs> Do you know yeah, I mean? it's, it's yeah. that sort of classic thing about anxiety, you know, that the consumption of a drug like that when you're anxious is just it's not going to oh, be no, any good for you. It makes it so much and worse. And it sort of yeah. kind of, like... Reaffirms that sort of nerdy patheticness <laughs> to, to, yeah. to the sort of feel of the film, you know what I mean? And yeah, we've all been, yeah. I've been there. Oh, God. You know, yeah. and I had many, you know, and it was felt like quite relatable. Yeah, you know, yeah. Which yeah. I quite like. Yeah, yeah a, that is an interesting three point. I've not quite considered the stranger side, yeah. Yeah. Theme in all of his films. Yeah. No, an interesting film. I think it's definitely, you know, someone yet yeah, believing their own hype a little bit mm. too much. Yeah. But the swing is big yep. and I admire it and what I want to know is Ben <laughs> where does he go from here oh because he's made two horror movies yep he's made like a comedy road movie of sorts yep. existential road horror mm. movie comedy thing yeah where does he go from here does he go back to his roots or does he keep sort of dabbling with different genres do you think oh mate that's a really good that's a really good question I have no idea I don't know why this popped into my head Something historical. Don't know why. Could well, be interesting. Eggers did it. Yeah, yeah, Eggers yeah. continues to work in it. I mean, you yeah, know, yeah, exactly. Um, he was yeah, a very good true. friend of his, right? I, mean, I think they have a production company together. Do they? Sure they do. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad sure they, they do. do. That's yeah. really nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, those two guys, we talk about this collection of A24 filmmakers. It's really those two that are the two big ones, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a few others. I mean, obviously, the David Lowry. David Lowry. Like yeah, um, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, it follows hockey David film. Robert yeah. Mitchell. Yeah, what film that is, by the way. Mm. Great film. Yeah, and no, he followed right. it up with that sort of noir film, which I've not seen, which has got quite mixed reception. Apparently, that's a big swing as well. It looks like a big swing film. Haven't seen it. Under the Silver Lake. That's the one. Yeah, Andrew yeah. Garfield. I'm gonna watch that because uh, Alfie, uh, our dear friend Alfie. I think he really liked it. He watched it once and didn't like it. That's and right. Watched it again and really liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. We talk about in the context of people yeah. like Harry Astor. Yeah, yeah. In the sense that the second viewing, not necessarily because he didn't like it the first time, but you find new appreciation. So it yeah, might be yeah. one of those. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So to summarise, yeah. <laughs> uh, really worth going to see. I think so. Yeah. Regardless of our reservations about aspects of how he handles certain themes and ideas. And also, there's a lot of it we might understand because he's, by his own admission, it's a very Jewish film. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> being Jewish, you know, maybe there's no. also stuff that went over our heads. So. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, anyone of that persuasion is this thing, email in, correct us. Please do, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely worth the watch. I think, I think it's so. a film that, you know, as an experience, we talk about this idea of audience participation. Mm. It is definitely a film for that. Yeah, Certainly I think so. Certainly the first half. Yeah. And it's real, really refreshing for me as someone, obviously, of both of us. Yeah, that adore this medium so much, and there's a lot of anxiety about the cinema experience, what the future of that is, given with streaming, everything like that, and films like this sort of reaffirm the power of the big screen, right? Oh, completely, um, yeah. So, in order to keep that power very much alive, just go and see it. And I think so, yeah, definitely go see it on the big screen. It's worth it. Always is worth it. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, find a comfy seat, 
maybe. Yeah, uh, and, not always uh, easy in the cinema, to be fair. No, Christ, no, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was sat for so long in the cinema that you sort of forget your you sort of like your ass just sort of ceases to exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I kept getting like, do when you get that, you get like a little tingle in your groin. Yeah, Because yeah. your bums just disappeared. <laughs> There's no blood flow to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, like, it just felt like I was like, the bottom half of my body was just sort of like disappearing. <laughs> oh, no, both my knees were just like, forget it. But, yeah. <laughs> and then like, I was surrounded by like my various kind of, I had dinner in the cinema, just bought loads of sandwiches, <laughs> surrounded by like, various packets of like sandwiches and Skittles <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> weird. Oh, fair out. enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely worth a pop. Mm. And um, I'm intrigued to see what he does next because I just Me don't too. know where he goes. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. you're right. His, historical epic. Something probable. historical. I think so. Be right. a good thing. Nice. Outro. Outro. So there we have it then. Mm. Another scintillating exchange. <laughs> uh, great talking about that film. A lot, yeah. Lots to unpick. Lots of stuff we've missed, given the nature of the film. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, again, worth a go. Definitely. Anyway, next week, <clears throat> we're going to watch The Master Gardener. Mm, yes. A really shit title. <laughs> Not great. Not Reminds great. me of that film, A Good Year. In yeah. fact, the poster looked quite similar as well. Uh, like that Russell Crowe film about wine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The worst film title, though, is definitely Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's title. not great, actually. I think it was one of my mates pointed it out, and ever since then, I've just been like, that is a shit title. <laughs> yeah. And it sort of always feels like that. You can imagine it being like a frothy sort of like, we talked about those like old guard, yeah, sort of like yeah. rom-commy sort of mm. films. But it isn't. Mm. It's filmed by Paul Schrader, who is low-key one of the greatest filmmakers in American history. Yeah. A guy who who rose to prominence as a screenwriter, most famously for Taxi Driver. Yeah, yeah. Pulling Scorsese out of his coke-filled nightmare and getting him to direct one of the great New York films. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, it all comes around in circles. Oh, though. it does, okay. yeah. <laughs> and also responsible for many great films such as Hardcore, Mishima, A Life of Four Chapters, and Blue Collar. And a couple of more recent examples, like The Card Counter, you talk up quite, you talk yeah. that one up quite a lot, don't yeah, you? Man, yeah, man, I really enjoyed The Card Counter. I'll give that a go before we talk about the film. Then. Yeah, it's one of, I rated it three stars on Letterboxd, and the week after I really regretted it. <laughs> And I was like, I can't stop thinking about the car counter and how great it was. And um, I gave it a pretty middling review. <laughs> but there we go. Um, let's just not forget also, uh, Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. Interesting story how that film was made by Paul Schrader and then remade again by someone else. Rennie Harlan, I think. <laughs> really? Yeah, God, yeah. Rennie, it was a bit of pieces. <laughs> yeah. You know, Schrader himself, fascinating individual, mm. really bizarre yeah. upbringing. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And someone that, yeah, I just think is responsible for one of the greatest films ever made, or mm. certainly one of the greatest American films ever made. Yeah. Taxi Driver. Mm. And also someone that is, by his own right, made some great, great films. Yeah, really good. Um, so really looking forward to deep diving his work, and I'm really looking forward to the film, because it really sort of came out of nowhere for me. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, we just I just saw the poster. Just, yeah, I was like, how do I not know this was happening? Yeah, yeah. There mm-hmm. we go. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, enjoy this app, enjoy yes. our episodes. Mm. Feel free to get in touch with our email address again. We're not desperate. <laughs> no, no, no. If you want, you know. yeah, if you want, please. <laughs> and uh, yeah, have a great week. And catch See you, you in the next bit. one. Bye. Bye bye.